0: Hi, I'm Danielle Fetter. I'm Alexandra Lee, and we're the co-hosts of Partial View Podcast. Welcome back to Partial View Podcast. It is my favorite time of year where we get to sing Christmas carols and eat gingerbread and all that good stuff. Well not quite because we're recording this in November. But I'm very excited about that time of year. And uh we have a really we have kind of a special holiday themed episode for you today. We're going to be talking with the father-son actor duo Bruce Cromer the Elder and Charlie Cromer the Younger who are both esteemed actors and educators in their own right and also have a really special history with a christmas carol specifically cincinnati playhouse in the parks production of a christmas carol and we're thrilled to have both of you here to chat with us thank you for
1: inviting us thank you so much alex that is a A very kind introduction One of us, it was half true It was was uh, an introduction full of half truths One of us is an esteemed educator and actor uh, And the other is a coat writing Lies uh, Simp, I guess (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think
0: that's quite true I probably know a few people from your college days That would disagree with that First, we're trying out this kind of segment where we wanna talk about things that we've liked lately. It doesn't necessarily have to be theater related, but it definitely can be. But like any kind of like media entertainment, like what are you, what are you enjoying? And why, if you wanna share that. Yeah, does either of you wanna kick it off? Or you need a minute?
2: Yeah, I'll dive in.
3: Yeah, what are you liking lately, Bruce? My
2: wife and I, ever since I retired, We've got this this thing that every night we sit down and we watch uh, DVD that we get free from the library, so um, we're able to get the latest movies, of course, uh, about a month afterwards. But we're also catching up on. Uh, we're Anglophiles. Part of my joy of doing Christmas Carol is I love all things English, so we've been watching Paul Paul Dark with Austin. What's his name? Taking off his shirt every five seconds and. <laughs> Uh, No, it's a great, again, a period English historical drama. I'm reading the books now by Wynton Graham. The books are wonderful, but um, I knew nothing of this, which is the way my wife and I generally catch up after the fact on things, but went through the whole series, binging it. We'd watch two or three episodes a night and uh, are very upset now that we've gotten through that one. But I'm enjoying that tremendously.
0: I've heard it's really, really good. I know nothing yes. about it, but yes. I've heard it's excellent. Uh,
2: again, the, the relationships between a married couple is, is the centerpiece of it and it's amazing what it's in the no, novels, but it's amazing uh, again, to hear a man and a woman talking intelligently about the state of their, their, uh, life together mm. and a long term, fairly long-term marriage by the end of the season.
0: Wow, Very cool.
1: Mine's more prurient than all that, I think. Uh, but we just got done with uh, Halloween over here. Uh, when we're recording this, not when you, the dear listener, are listening to it. Uh, what is the future like, dear listener? Right in. But Lauren, my wife, and I got into some Kubrick. Uh, even when he's not doing specifically horror, most of his stuff is pretty horrifying in the way that he recreates reality. So I saw The Shining for the very first time. It's obviously very good. Not a great adaptation, but I think lovely in its own right. And I've been playing a lot of Hades, uh, which is, you know, game of the year from like two years ago, but man, oh man, I'm like 300 hours in and I'm still finding new stuff. It's so good. And I always try to reread as much HP Lovecraft during the holiday, Halloween season as possible. So I uh, picked up At the Mountains of Madness again. Oh, and uh, started rereading... Uh, Alan Moore's and Jason Burroughs' Providence.
0: I keep meaning to get into Lovecraft. I've never never really taken that dive.
1: For me, he's the poster child of learning how to appreciate the art and completely disavow the artist. (laughs) Uh, And also, you know, having to pick and choose which of the art you really enjoy. All right.
3: Very cool. I think I... This is less entertainment in the uh, traditional sense and more in the um, maybe schadenfreude sense, but I am an avid Twitter user. So Oof. I have been very entertained by and loving all of the ways that Elon Musk's Twitter is imploding. Um, like all of the people who went and created fake verified accounts to troll major corporations. I, I don't like the people who made fake verified accounts to do like gross shady things but you know like the person who pretended to be Eli Lilly and tweeted yes, about uh, insulin being free and then the official Eli Lilly company had to make a statement being like, oh, no, no. You do still have to pay for that. We are pieces of shit. Um, Absolutely
1: (laughs) never. We will never provide this life-saving drug for free.
3: It cost them $30 billion. It's incredible. It's amazing. Um,
1: I love the At Real Tesla company. uh, 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 Was it? User. I've never used Twitter. For the best. That they just keep on just doing the bit just the the a second tesla has just hit the world trade centers is one of
0: yes i saw that all one. <laughs> time
1: all oh time my time great tweets
2: oh,
0: yeah i'm just really we're really we're really put like dating this episode putting it in a very specific oh, sh- moment in time we really are <laughs> but, but you know I what love it.
3: <laughs> that's fine i'm okay with it because the compilations of um these tweets and these this this incredible trolling should be documented in as many ways as possible
0: i try to stay theatrical for my what i'm liking but i have to say i just finished the hulu comedy reboot and it is terrific like it is actually absolutely wonderful and you can binge it in like four to five hours and it's about a nineties sitcom getting rebooted. Oh, reboot, yes. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> yeah. It almost sounded like you were saying like the Hulu reboot of Da da da. Oh, yes. No, the the actual show reboot,
0: which Rachel Bloom is very involved with and it is in, I'm not sure of her exact role, if she's like executive producer or showrunner or what. But it is, it's really funny, like it's laugh out loud, out loud funny, and there are just moments that completely like knocked my socks off. Um, and a nice little Easter egg is that every episode is named after a different TV show, oh. which is really fun. From like all eras, not just not just like things that have been rebooted, not just stuff from like the past. Like, it's very fun. Highly recommend Reboot on Hulu for some uh, light entertainment. We thought we'd start off with just chatting about our respective histories with um, A Christmas Carol as a story and A Christmas Carol as a theatrical adaptation. And I was wondering if you two just kind of wanted to share what's the origin story for you?
2: Well, uh, the cool thing is ours intertwine, yeah. but uh, I was walking the planet before Charlie, so uh, w- honestly, when when I- I've now compiled all of my journal entries, I've, I've kept uh, journals over the years, but all of the entries that regard Christmas Carol and the productions I've done, in case your listeners want to buy a copy of it, it's called the Christmas Carol Diaries. <laughs>
1: Normally, plugs come at the end of the episode, Dad.
2: Oh, okay, I see. But no, when um, Charlie and his brother, Toby, were very little, we were living in Seattle. I and my wife had moved to Seattle so we could be regional theater uh, people. And Seattle's a great place for theater as well as to live and to raise a family. Unfortunately, very expensive. And one of my first major jobs was doing young Scrooge in A Christmas Carol at the milwaukee repertory theater so like actors that live in new york and then go and fly off to regional theaters i I found instead of being in the region that i wanted to work in i had to leave my two young sons and uh, my wife and they were very little i mean uh, charlie was maybe three or less and toby's just been born um But that started me on Christmas Carol. And I did uh, Milwaukee Rap. I did Young Scrooge and a party guest Topper. And then uh, we moved to Dayton. I start teaching at Wright State University. And I do a Christmas Carol with my wife, with little Charlie, who eventually, uh, he started as Tiny Tim and eventually went to the Turkey Boy. Mm -hmm. George. And Toby... Toby, our littlest uh, child, was a waif carried on by his mother who would ad-lib every now and then, very cute ad-libs. Merry Christmas, Mister Scrooge. But I got to be Dickens, the narrator, in that one. So I also got to be Marley's Ghost and Party Guests. And, you know, Dickens actually stepped into the frame, so to speak. Did that for three years. And then I looked... Um, an hour and a half commute down the down south, and uh, had a friend who was an artistic director at Cincinnati Playhouse. He said, "Why don't you come and audition for Young Scrooge? Believe it or not, Charlie. I don't know if I I, don't, I've ever told I don't you think this." So, so, so <laughs> I was too old. I was you know threes, uh, f- approaching forty. That didn't work out. But then they they cast me as Bob Cratchit. I got to do Cratchit for eight glorious years. I loved doing Bob Cratchit, Joe Neil Joplin, my predecessor of Scrooge, the guy that I started doing the production with. After uh, eight years, he decided he was old enough; he wanted to stop, and they they looked at me as the heir presumptive. So then I wound up doing Ebenezer Scrooge in this same production for an additional um, seventeen years, one of which was on radio. So I've got basically, you know, uh, twenty five your history with that Cincinnati Playhouse production. The last three times I was on stage with it, I was thrilled to have my son playing young Scrooge. Yeah,
1: I got to play the younger, I got to play the young version of dad. And my origin story, uh, both as uh, with Christmas Carol and just as an actor is, yes, starting out as Tiny Tim in Christmas Carol, uh, I'm of the ripe enough age now that I do talkbacks, and people are like, "How did you get your start in theater? Why are you an actor now? Still? Why are you still up there doing this? Why?" How did you memorize all and, of those lines? Oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But I, I, I tell people that when you are five years old and you're in a group of adults who are giving you responsibility and talking to you like. A, a person who is capable of doing things and fulfilling responsibilities uh, that really carves a very powerful uh, channel in your brain. That's that's super hard to get away from. So uh, that was pretty much it for me. I, I pretty much knew I wanted to be an actor from there. Yeah. So I did tiny Tim for two years and then George for one year. Is that right, dad?
2: I think that's right. Yeah. The year, stage hands, bet on whether Charlie would catch, when he was the, the turkey boy, uh, would catch this coin tossed at him every, every night. Yeah, Scrooge's, Scrooge's balcony that he yelled like, you boy, you, what day
1: is this? Was up on the uh, flies, almost. It was like the second story. And then he'd flip the coin off from the catwalk. This is in my like seven-year-old's memory. I don't know if this is actually what happened. And I had a little flat cap. So you'd catch it in the cap? Well, I was supposed to. I was usually pretty <laughs> bad at it until until the Union stagehands made a bet. Like, if you can catch this however many times in a row, we're going to get you a little something special. And I was like, really? Oh, my gosh. And I think I did it. I think I actually did do it but maybe they were just really yeah,
2: nice. Yeah, they presented him with a jingling bag of coins. It, what were they, silver dollars? It was Charlie? my very
1: first pouch, not to be my last, but the very first adventurer's pouch of treasure that I ever acquired, and it was full of dollar coins, which I had never seen. I didn't know those existed. So it was like all these I, – I did a thing, and all these – Older, cool
2: adults. Ayatzee I- guys. Yeah. Who watch Who watch the football game on the, t- the small TVs TV. while we're doing the and show. And that is
1: also <laughs> where I learned, yeah, Union Strong forever. Workers of the world unite. And then I did a bunch of other plays, but I think I if I didn't see every single year that Dad did Christmas Carol at Cincy Playhouse, I definitely saw... Uh, 25 out of the 27. I mean, I was there almost. I was there the closing night for Joe Neal's final show where he passed the Scrooge pillow to my dad in front of the cheering audience. And the Scrooge pillow uh, was a very powerful prop uh, that was used to great effect as many different things. A, A turkey's gobble, a soldier's hat, a Santa beard, a big fat belly, uh, something to hide his butt with. Uh, the, the Scrooge pillow was it was very personified. Uh, anyway, so Joe Neal passed that to my dad during his final curtain call. That wow. was really cool. Yeah. It was just sort of everything worked out where I had just finished up grad school when the uh, gentleman playing Scrooge before me had to leave that production in Cincinnati to go and... really a downgrade he had to play harry potter in the cursed child on the on the national tour it was a we all yeah
2: the poor guy
1: his (laughs) loss was my gain and i got to just
2: (laughs) nepotism
1: to the rescue uh, slid right on into that role
2: no he he had auditioned for it before and I was gotten like
1: 21 it. when I auditioned the first time. Uh, I was fresh out of undergrad.
2: So again, you know, it it was a matter of the stars being in alignment. And yeah, of course, he played young Scrooge. Joe Neal's son played young Scrooge. He was an actor as well. So there was a history of this happening.
0: I was just going to say, Danielle had the great parallel when I mentioned the history you guys had with this particular production, she was like that sounds like you know, the passion play at Oberammergau or like something of that nature, like where families take up the same. I, I think this is for Oberammergau specifically. I'm not sure. Uh, my theater history 101 is a little rusty after the last decade. But <laughs> the, the idea behind this like small town, the small village in Bavaria doing the passion play every 10 years is that the the role of Jesus gets passed through the family and the role of the mother of mother mary gets passed through the family you know the next person will take up the mantle to take on the performance for this elaborate passion play that gets staged every decade and I thought that that was a really cool analogy to what's happened with you guys and I guess this is n- not new to Cincinnati yeah, Playhouse yeah. in the Park and that's awesome Yeah well
3: what's funny is I actually wasn't thinking specifically of Oberammergau or specifically of mm-hmm. like of the roles in passion plays being passed oh. through families that didn't I didn't even think of that but like you're you're so right i was simply thinking of another story that gets repeated and done in infinite numbers of ways and infinite iterations around the world and i
0: think that it made me think a lot also about like theater as ritual and, you know, how people go to the same place at the same time every year to do the same thing, how that kind of intersects with ideas about religion, religions of all kinds, and how, you know, it make, when you mentioned the passing of the Scrooge pillow, you know, that it's a very tangible ritual that's in effect for the people who are present. I know some people also go to the nutcracker every year i try to be one of those people like i love the nutcracker personally i'm going next week you know people people have a lot people have holiday traditions in general and like christmas and the commercialization of christmas really like tries to tap into that my personal history with a christmas carol is that my mother watches Mr.
2: Magoo's Christmas Carol special. Oh yeah, special
0: yeah. Every yeah.
2: year. You guys know oh, it? it. Of course. No one
1: knows
0: it. We
2: sing it. the song, oh, yeah. oh, you gosh. know, uh, uh, the, the bad guy's song at Christmas Carol backstage. La,
0: la, 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 la. la, 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 la.
2: la.
0: Um, every year, she's watched it every year since she was a child. It is gonna be 60 years old, I think this year or next year. And ever since I was literally a baby before i even remember like that that's my christmas carol that's what we do every year every year without fail and so there's like this very very strong kind of totems that both religion and rituals and i think the theater also bring to people's lives
2: i agree there's there's the other side that though too that people don't think about you talk about you know how you learn all those lines the cool thing about theater is and why I love it I'm so glad I'm a theater person you have to go in every night regardless of how you feel and whatever's happening in your family you know you can be sick you can have a death in the family etc cetera, etc cetera. because of COVID some of this is changing but it's that thing of you got to do it so, you get into, you do your warm up, you get into makeup, you know, you might have a dresser that always gives you tea, but you every night, the great thing is you can every night try to do it better than it's ever been done before. And when you've done mm-hmm. like this Cincinnati production, 25 years doing that production, I mean, it's amazing that it still becomes this puzzle of, I'm doing the same lines, same scenes, basically the same blocking every night. Ritualistically, I really like a world that's like that, that I get to crawl into it. So the cool thing is there's a ritual within the ritual as well. But yeah, if we didn't have these audiences that love to come and bring their families and you see the kids grow up, you keep going, oh my God, my first Tiny Tim, He's got a beard, <laughs> and he's a physical <laughs> fitness guy now. And it's very, it's like, whoa. But it's one of those rare yeah. events where, yeah, you come together, coming back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I house manage for a regional theater in Maryland, and... Um, they do a one-man Christmas carol every year, and they've been doing it for 11, 12 years now with this incredible actor, Paul Morella, at Only Theatre Center. And people will just come and say, oh, this is my favorite thing. We look forward to it every single year, and yeah. we're bringing our children. And it is just so... It is so heartwarming. And it's so heartwarming that it is... I think a lot of people quite accurately say that like musicals are the gateway to theater for a lot of kids. But I think also stories like this that are kind of posited as something you can grow up with is also a really,
3: really good way
0: to get kids into the theater.
3: I feel like the odd one out here, but I'm Jewish. So Christmas Carol wasn't really a huge part of my life. Like I've um, I've seen a Muppet Christmas Carol.
2: Of
1: course. That's
3: a classic. Another good
2: one. Very good one.
3: Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've worked at a regional theater where that had been doing A Christmas Carol annually. They don't appear to be doing it this year and obviously, like, haven't for a couple of years, you know, since COVID, but I did see it that year when I was working there as well. But mostly my familiarity with it is just through osmosis and...
1: I was going to say cultural osmosis. Exactly, yeah,
3: just hearing and, and being aware of the characters' names and the characters as tropes. And... It's funny to hear, or interesting to hear it described by Alex as like another route into an interest in theater for kids. Because mine absolutely was musicals. I did go see The Nutcracker at some point, but we never really did that. We never really did Rockettes. I'm just like, I'm trying to remember, honestly, because it just like wasn't a big, like understandably wasn't a huge part of my
1: childhood. It's funny. The Nutcracker is, to me, much more actually Christmas-oriented than A Christmas Carol. Because other than the fact that A Christmas Carol takes place at Christmas, and obviously some productions will emphasize the Jesus aspect more than others, but uh, The Cincinnati Playhouse really did... It was a completely... It was a very modern Christmas in that way. It was very non-denominational. There's not really anything about, like, the tree, the wrapping, the presents. Uh, the only big kind of ritual I think that's observed is, like, the feast. The food, which is for the Cratchits. Uh, it, the Cratchit scene is all about the food that they are able to eat on this special day. But the Nutcracker is, like, it's all about giving gifts. That's how the whole thing yeah. kicks off, is they gather around yeah. the tree and they give Presence and then the presents are a magical portal for the child into a world of wonder and danger and excitement I don't really have any we've never seen the Nutcracker I think I probably watched a PBS like masterpiece theater Version of it on VHS that we got out of the library maybe once or twice, but I was bored. I was like, there's no talking What is this?
2: (laughs) It's funny though. I have a I have a friend who's uh, was a one of my dance teachers and now he's retired, but he's done a, a Nutcracker. Uh, again, it's a regional theater ballet. So he's done the old blind guy with a patch year after year after year, after year after year after year. So it is funny, it's, it's, it is a, a way still that people connect and come together for the holidays mm-hmm. and stuff. I'll
1: tell you, everybody at the K through eight school where I teach, every single kid goes to see the Nutcracker every year they all they don't know who charles dickens is they don't know what a christmas carol is some of them may have heard of scrooge maybe but everybody is either going to be in the nutcracker has been in the nutcracker or is going to see their friends and family perform in the nutcracker
0: i i do think it's really interesting that you are bringing up A Christmas Carol, you know, it takes place at Christmas, but it's not a big Christmas. It it can be perceived as not a huge Christmas story just because when Paul Morella at Olney starts his one-man version, he does a little intro to the audience and he always says, you know, a lot of people forget about this, but A Christmas Carol was written to be a ghost story. It was written to be a spooky ghost story.
2: Dickens had a lot of problems with religion, so uh the more you read uh, again about his personal history you go well yeah this he's not exactly uh, i'm going to say a, something offensive he's not uh, somebody that bangs the drum for any particular uh, mm. approach let's say
3: that is interesting i guess like also because of my lack of like intimate knowledge of a christmas carol it's like especially cuz christmas is literally in the name you're like yeah. you you think of it sort of as um s- I don't know if innately religious is is the word, because like Alex was saying earlier, like the commercialization of Christmas means that it is like, unless you are a very particular type of person who really cares about that, it isn't really a religious holiday in terms of like yeah. pop culture and just like general society mm-hmm. anymore. But even so, it's like Christmas being in the title you can't help but make that association that there's gonna be like something that like either is for you or isn't for you. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's funny again that you uh, see in in the illustrations and also, you know, a lot of it's, it's Dickens' description of Christmas present, he is, and his brothers come every year and he is Christmas. And he's often dressed again with a garland but jesus like garland of you know holly and stuff he has uh often a a, a a long hair but a beard well no a beard and mustache uh in a robe uh he is a giant in the book and sits up on this huge mound of food in the play ha- christmas carol at the, the playhouse a tree actually a christmas tree victorian but still a christmas tree would come up through the traps with fog. And, you know, the main thing was the pile of food. But that's the one point where I'd say, yeah, okay, we are acknowledging, again, Dickens, they say, gave Christmas back to uh, what it used to be in England, and he brought it back. And he sort of invented, in a way, the commercialization. Because, come on, he wrote the book, Mm -hmm. put a lot of money in it,
1: isn't that the name of one of those awful movies? Like oh, yeah, the, man awful- the man who invented Christmas. The man who saved.
2: The man who invented yes. Christmas. Boo. Bad yes. movie. <laughs> bad movie. Boo. Don't watch
1: it. Bad.
0: So, one of the things that we wanted to kind of get into is like the reasons, kind of the pros and cons of this trend that a lot of regional theaters do have to do a Christmas carol as a main stage show every single season without fail
3: barring covid
0: barring covid when Bar like of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah 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 exactly it's really interesting i think to think about the kind of consequences of doing the same show every single year i mean it's it's smart in some ways and that like you know you have the built-in audience. You you know that it's going to bring in the money. It's going to put butts in seats. I actually found this really interesting article that Capacity Interactive did. Capacity Interactive is a digital marketing consulting firm for the arts specifically. And they actually worked with Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park on their digital strategy a few years ago. And they cited the statistic... Let me just make sure I'm getting this right. It says this year, and I'm not actually sure if they're talking about the 2018 to 2019 year or if this is supposed to be referring to a past year. But it said 26% of overall on sale revenue for everything at the theater was attributed to a Christmas Carol renewals.
1: Oh, just the renewals. Yeah.
0: That is wild. And because Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park also does a kind of a larger season. Than a lot of regional theaters, generally, you know, they they. I was looking it up, and it's like, yeah, you know, they do like eight or nine shows at least a year. Like, that's a lot. That is a huge percentage.
2: A lot of the uh, theaters will will pejoratively call it the cash cow, but mm-hmm. it is true. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I'm so sick of of the same shows over and over, but I'm only going to go once a year, if that. At least Christmas Carol doesn't run every f and day of the year, night of the year. <laughs> you
1: know, it is don't. limited to the season.
2: <laughs> yeah. The reason it sells is because it is family friendly. You, you can bring your kids. Yep. People do get into this thing of I give tickets and I bring my, grand, my grandchildren and their parents. We come as a family. You know, it's the one time in the year when we can all go and see a piece of theater where they're not using strong language Mm -hmm. and having naked bodies.
1: Sure, but those people, honestly, Christmas Carol's usually the only show that people are gonna go see. That is true for a lot of families. It is the only live theater they will see in a year. They're not really interested in live theater, they're interested in the Christmas Carol experience in Cincinnati. And, and I, I'm just gonna like blanket statement. Everything I say has only to do with the Cincinnati Playhouse production in the park because it's the only one that I have any experience with or any knowledge of.
2: But again, it's because you're saving money. It's the same costumes. It's the same set.
1: Generally- You don't have to have a full four or five weeks of rehearsal. It's the,
2: yeah, it's the same actors. Yeah. They know what they're doing. You know. With- I was gonna bring
0: that up. It's a great, it's almost like a great service to the theater community that you're in and that true. you're able to extend that kind of, like kind of regular employment to actors who don't know where their next paycheck is gonna come from. I mean, I don't need to tell the two of you that, but I, here in DC, the big one is Ford's Theater. Yes. Does it every year. And and Craig Wallace, who's this incredible actor, he's been doing it for years and years. I don't even know how long he's been doing
2: it. Greg Procaccino. Greg Pacachino, who played mm-hmm. R. Marley, he was the one of the few actors that was in every uh, performance of the Christmas Carol at, at the Playhouse, but he was in that yeah. Ford's theater. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's the other thing oh, is to sort of move around and you know I'm an example yeah. of it it's like where's my Christmas carol if I get the Christmas carol <laughs> I get to have Christmas presents every year based on that paycheck
1: seriously the yeah. I mean Dickens put presents under our tree my entire childhood my entire childhood mm-hmm. and I, that is not something that I forget or, or take for granted that the Cincinnati Playhouse in mm-hmm. the Park and, and this story you know helped me have christmas me and my brothers have christmas my entire childhood
2: yeah but if the story wasn't good or if the production isn't good they wouldn't keep doing it over and over again now i know i've seen a lot of cheesy christmas carols at occasionally i would get really worried that the cincinnati production was going to slide down that path but a lot of it was because the the writing and the history of the production allowed more of an an emotional investment in it you go in front of an audience of 600 people and you have just read a story of a little child dying whether it's through illness a school shooting and you're going uh, you cannot schmaltz tiny tim's death when you're really trying to bring some human reality to it and think that there's a parent in the audience or a grandparent who they they went through it this year you know that's that's when i i think it deserves to be on stage when it's too easy in a sense it's like well what's the point that's not that's mm-hmm. not what yeah. uh, dickens intended but yeah a hallmark hall of fame version of it you know it's just it's too easy yeah.
1: Yeah. That one it mm-hmm. kind of freaked me out. I, I before, you know, we ever had a pet who died that I was aware of, I really I learned about death as a concept by playing a little boy who died in the play that I was in. And um I do remember that I not, you know, freaking me out, but it was just it was it was a 5-year-old learning about death by playing the character who died in a story about it.
3: Wow. That's That's a lot. (laughs) Um, I want to go back to a couple of things that I like made note of. Bruce, if you, I would love to hear you say a little bit more about like what you think makes a good Christmas Carol versus a bad Christmas Carol production. And then after that, I'm just saying it. So we don't totally forget Charlie. I loved what you said about how the audience for a Christmas Carol often is a completely separate audience from the people who are going to the rest of the shows at that theater yeah. or they're they're not seeing anything else at the theater so i want to i want to circle back to that because i feel like that's actually a segue into like the cons a little bit
2: great great well uh, a, a little bit about the con part of it though that that hits me um because you can see so many different versions of this on tv and movies and things like that the wonderful thing about our script at the Playhouse, and it's more of the history of it. The first thing is, you gotta have to have Scrooge on stage all the time in a Christmas Carol, and Scrooge has got to have focus. Uh, if he's off to the side and you don't don't really see anything going on with him, because it's written that way, you don't see this man's arc tremendous arc and you don't see when he backslides because it hurts too much it's like going into therapy (laughs) except you have four ghosts that are your therapists. and you know uh, (laughs) marley's saying you're going to do this and scrooge goes no (laughs) no (laughs) and that's the thing you can't make the change too fast but um scrooge has got to have focus it's got to be written so scrooge has an emotional arc And the one thing where it does get a little bit religious is, in our version, Scrooge got down on his knees and he would thank Jacob. He doesn't thank God, and he doesn't thank Jesus, and he doesn't thank Buddha. He thanks his friend who came back from the dead to give him a chance to change. You know, that's the weird kind of supernatural world where this works is is marley put in the good word and he gets the three visitations but he falls to his knees and he thanks jacob and that was one of the moments in the production where every night i never had to fake uh, getting choked up and getting emotional because again to me the bastards that i know in life that are in government now or, you know or want to be in, in government again. Um, those are the people that to me Scrooge should have a big resonance with. Every year a different figure can be in my mind because yes, we're, we're saying capitalism, these are the big business people that don't give a shit about humanity. Pardon my French. That's got to be there. The stakes have got to be that high because otherwise I wouldn't go see Christmas Carol. And if the actors didn't have that type of emotional investment, Charlie, every night when when as young Scrooge, I literally get to see a younger version of myself make this huge mistake by turning down this young woman and the pursuit of love because they're more interested in money that I never had to phone in either because that just. That just was <laughs> that was therapy for
1: you. That's not therapy for Scrooge. That's yeah. therapy for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: To see Charlie in pain. You know. But I think there's got to be the emotional investment. I the other thing you have to have, Danielle, is is kids. A Christmas Carol without kids. Mm-hmm. They were Charlie can talk mm-hmm. about this. God, you know, yeah. most of them have never acted before. You know, you got some kids that are again unfortunately got a little bit of that kid actor schmactor in them but our director <laughs> was great he could try to pull him back but Ch- tiny tim's like five so
1: yeah and really like we'd have kindergarten we had six-year-olds playing tiny tim
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah but without the kids on yeah. stage and doing important things the cratchit family alone um it's not a good christmas carol
0: Sounds like you have some ideas for when Charlie's old enough to play
2: Ebenezer <laughs> Scrooge proper
3: and you're ready to direct
0: him.
2: <laughs> but it it does. It has to be in the script though. That's the other thing.
3: Yeah. The different yeah. adaptations are super interesting to me too. Are there really any and this is me speaking from point place of like genuinely not knowing. Are there like definitive adaptations of it, definitive scripts that people use, or is it more like every theater just sort of devises their
1: own thing. That's another way you can save some money. You just write your own. It's creative commons. The books right there.
2: No, they yeah. are. There's there's so many different versions, you know, and that's why it's cool when uh, when the Cincinnati Playhouse opened, their first production was very dark. Uh the undertakers were the narrators and um uh, full,
3: full ghost story.
2: Yeah, from what I hear Christmas <laughs> future was like robotic or something like that. It was also too long. It did not work.
1: It was dark. I remember. I mean, you see the pictures of you as Dickens. He's got like, you know, everyone's got like huge coal smudges under their eyes. Everybody's wearing black. Everybody's hair is... It was sort of Edward... What if everybody was Edward Scissorhands in A Christmas Carol? (laughs) (laughs) I remember the school. It was very like... (laughs) <laughs> we're all and again this is a child's memory but it was like everybody is trapped in a dickensian workhouse telling this story uh that was not the you know explicit framing device but the the costumes and the set really gave this idea of like we are all grist in a mill trying to tell this
2: christmas story yeah an in, in industrial civilization yeah but, uh, too, there, there was a line of, Charlie, I don't know if the kids were involved with it, but every adult was on the upper level, and they're running huge lengths of chain. Whoa, which Whoa, you're blowing my day. mind.
1: I forgot. Oh! Yeah.
2: So there's this <laughs> rattle of chain. I mean, it was really dark.
1: I no, I remember my little arms like pumping that chain up and down. I do remember that. You like unlocked a memory. This is this is ghost therapy.
3: (laughs) I'm getting like senses. I can like
1: feel the weight of that chain. I can like see the adults on either side of me. I'm like trying different ways of shaking it. But
2: see, (laughs) you you could not get the Christmas Carol audiences from the Playhouse (laughs) to go in and see that. Um you might one get last me story. To go see that <laughs> one last story though. ATL, Actors Theater of Louisville. I've never done the research on this, but this is what the people of who have worked there told me. They tried to change the long running version that they had to a new script. They tried it one year, audiences hated it. I think they it's went the, back to the it, old the script. The
1: communities mm. sort of mm.
2: decide what's
1: their definitive script you know, whether it's through longevity yeah. or is it just genuinely a banger uh, or some combination of that and other things, but it's a uh, regional <laughs> definitive takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that's cool. And, and this might be a good place to also talk about a little bit. My understanding is that Cincinnati Playhouse in the Parks production is on hiatus for renovation this year, renovation and
1: theater. I more than renovation. That theater got bombed into the ground. Whoa. They're building. A, they're building a completely new main stage. Yeah, completely.
0: And I also read something that said they're going to come yeah. back with just like a whole new version of a Christmas Carol. I don't know if that means new script or I don't know how much you guys know and can talk about it, but like
2: Char- Charlie actually took actually took part in a, a reading of the new script not too long ago. Oh. but yeah, the thing is. Uh, The old version, the set was built especially for it. It had traps, doors, and lifts. It had rotating turrets so the scenery would change. You know, very expensive.
1: Houses opened up to reveal interiors.
2: So the new theater doesn't have traps. They, they don't. They're going to have a fly system, though. Flies are the new cool thing. So, All the new theaters
1: is have fly systems. So they can, trapdoors are so 1980. They can
2: actually fly in flats, <laughs> the old-fashioned way. They can raise <laughs> one of the spirits if they want to with a little harness and make them scream and you know. But we'll we'll see. It's got to be a a new script. Very yeah.
1: cool. I can't talk about anything else. But yes, I, sure it is I. a new script.
3: Awesome going into sort of the the cons of theaters doing this every single year is I feel like the fact that it is an audience completely separate from the rest of their theater's regular Mm -hmm. audience and again this is a generalization we haven't you know done the research we don't know every theater's audience demographics and who sees Christmas Carol versus who doesn't I think to some extent could argue that the fact that at Cincinnati Playhouse a quarter of the season subscribers resubscribe because of Christmas Carol means there is at least some overlap but like I think a lot of the reason that a lot of regional theaters will do something that is very mainstream very popular the sort of cash cow production whether it's Christmas Carol or whether it's Music Man or whether whatever it is are doing it at least with some hope that it means they'll bring in new audiences and that doesn't seem to be the case with christmas carol which i think is really interesting like that isn't the motivation and can't be the motivation
1: i maybe i don't know i mean i will say the number of families that they probably brought in by casting the children of that family in the show, they're probably not ne- you know, negligible. Oh, but I mean,
3: those people aren't but, necessarily then sticking around and going to see, like they're not becoming regular audience members of the theater is what I mean by like new audiences. They're not going to be like, Christmas Carol was great. Let me
0: go see the humans.
1: I want to go see Pillow Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hear there's kids in Pillow Man too. I want to know about it. It sounds so snuggly. I don't know. My understanding with playhouse is that it was almost that sort of like one for them, one for Mm -hmm. me kind of deal they made. And again, this is all rumor mill hearsay, but they made enough money off of Christmas Carol alone that every single other show in the season could lose money and the theater would be all right. Wow. So we do one show a year that we know everybody is going to come see and everybody will pay a little bit extra we can upcharge those tickets it does not matter because it is a christmas carol and they've been doing it for 25 years so what are they going to do not pay the extra 15 dollars a ticket i don't think so and then they get to do, you know, original works based on local Cincinnati music artists, or they get to feature new playwrights. I uh, The wonderful actor, Derek Snow, who I just did a show with at Ensemble, he's going to be the resident playwright for the next two years. Cincinnati local, involved in so many arts organizations around town, he gets to be the regional playwright, and uh, they're just going to be Building a brand new show over the next two years that Derek's going to be writing and um, you know helming. I don't know if you get to do stuff like that at the level that the Playhouse does if you don't have the guaranteed. You know, I don't. I have no idea how much Christmas Carol would make per year. And anything in my mind that gets folks into see a play, even just once a year. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Totally. <laughs> I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to disagree yeah, with that at disagree all. Yeah, I don't disagree at it's all. It's just very it, it's it's very interesting cuz that everything you were saying, I think resonates so much with me and Danielle because we did an episode on pipelines, particularly with like new play development in regional theater, like touching on that more about the relationship between regional theater and New York we, we talked a lot about kind of a, a theater's responsibility and they're kind of different responsibilities and how some are nurturing new work more than others some are nurturing local work more than others and I think I I'm I feel like I always am the one who's like the economic reality the economic reality is that you do a Christmas Carol and that's how you get like the next cool new play that's gonna be maybe making its rounds around maybe Ohio first and then the region and then maybe going onwards. Yeah,
2: Ed Stern, Ed Stern who was the artistic director before Blake Robinson, and uh, he's the, the old friend that, that got me involved at Cincinnati Playhouse. But Ed told me they were doing the, the brothers Karamazov, and he says, look, I will do Mousetrap, and we will do it with the best actors the best design team because we're the big theater in town we will do the best production of mousetrap that we can do because i'm not going to get as many people to come see brothers karamazov or again an original play but the way that the playhouse can get that 600 seat auditorium that's why they part of the reason why they tore it down too many seats you had to fill They'll well. They'll come and see Christmas Carol. They'll see, and then they'll try something else. If they don't like it, the cool thing is, Christmas Carol or something like it paid for the more exploratory work.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: I, speaking to the uh, artistic uh, sort of responsibilities too, uh, I will say what the what the Playhouse's Christmas Carol did, and I have to imagine. It is a similar situation for every long-running Christmas Carol in the area. Is that it creates artistic families? I feel incredibly close to a number of actors who only ever came to Cincinnati to do a Christmas Carol, and now they live in uh, Milwaukee. They live in New York. They live in uh, you know P- uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, they're they're all over the place. But I just On Saturday, we were all texting each other. Sorry, Dad, you weren't in the chain. But we were all texting each other like, oh, we miss you guys so much. Like, I can't believe we're not going to see each other this year. Like, we're sending pictures of, you know, what we're doing that day, of our, our, you know, plans, shows we've done throughout the rest of the year. It's like, it's just so special. It's so special that I got to to meet these people and learn from them, uh, their different techniques and see all the amazing things that they did. And also, I mean, every single year in the audience too, I got to see new cast configurations, all these all these different Bob Cratchits that uh, of course inevitably fell short of my father's <laughs> performance in my mind. <laughs> but it was still nice. It's like, wow, yeah, you can give that a shot. Why not? Like what if Bob <laughs> Cratchit was just like sort of a doofus? Why the heck not? Give it a give it a try. But
2: Danielle, that that ties into, again, this double edged sword, the con of a resident company like Cincinnati Shakespeare. And like uh, when I was working at Alabama Shakespeare Festival, the audiences, they have to love that company because they keep coming and see them, you know, run through all the plays. But it's always the same faces. The Playhouse can afford to house out of town actors.
0: Mm-hmm. one of the few places
2: in Cincinnati that can afford that so they can get new york actors but that's not as big a deal as it used to be 20 years ago uh the thing is though they can pull actors from wherever across the country you know um but christmas carol you bring them together if they like you then they like to see that same group of people as we like to get together you know every year. If they don't like you, it's another reason why, you know, you just, you won't go because <laughs> you're going, I hate that Scrooge. I hate that ah. blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Yeah. Do we want to play a, a little bit more with the cons though?
3: Drag it. Drag that Christmas <laughs> Carol. I can be the Scrooge of the episode. Um, ah. Hey, see, that's the extent oh, of my man. knowledge. Um, well, Danielle, <laughs> you've got
2: good points. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, yeah, what is the Hanukkah show? <laughs>
3: Well, there there isn't one, you know, Alex and I wrote in the like outline points about, you know, like does doing Christmas Carol alienate other communities? And it's like, I can only speak for myself, obviously. I think on one hand, uh, I've never seen it as alienating. You know, the point is like there isn't a Hanukkah show there. There isn't an equivalent there's no, there's no, I
0: r- like, Rosh Hashanah. No, like, there's, there's not. There's, like, no, I, I can't think of any plays off the top of my head that are been, like, massively produced that are set around a major Jewish holiday. Maybe I'm forgetting No, one, there's but. really
3: not. And I think part of that, at least with, like, this, the quote-unquote holiday season around Christmas and Hanukkah, is that Hanukkah is actually a very minor holiday. And it's only given the weight that it's given culturally because of its proximity to Christmas but even so it's like I don't see value in like all lives mattering it like it's not um, (laughs) there's a like the, the existence of Christmas Carol does not negate anything else
1: there's not a finite mm-hmm. amount of holiday cheer to right. go around no matter how big or small exactly also i think it's extremely disrespectful to mr sandler that y'all are just saying oh there's no there's no big hanukkah to do eight crazy nights excuse me that that, that movie is a stage adaptation i don't know <laughs> i don't know oh, we're only talking about stage adaptations oh okay well I, well you know what there, there's an open opportunity right there. That's a million dollar <laughs> idea. I will ask for only $700,000 worth of it. And the other <laughs> three is all for whoever wants to take, take Listen, me up on that. two things.
3: One, forget Eight Crazy Nights and give me the Rugrats Hanukkah special any day.
1: <laughs> Number two, <laughs> yes. I'm not familiar. <laughs> Number two
3: is more earnestly, like if you're going to do a Jewish play I feel like the answer would be a Purim play like we do a Purim spiel but yeah like I think it would be really cool to see other holidays and other religions and other traditions if they have a sort of natural fit like a Purim play to be formed into a more a broader cultural tradition at a theater like I think that would be amazing but I th- don't think that the fact that that does not currently exist is like an argument against doing Christmas Carol.
2: But it's funny. It it again goes down to, uh, uh, you know, the book was written a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And in Dickens' lifetime, people were pirating and and he wasn't getting any money from it, but they were doing all of his novels, you know, on stage. Um, It's just funny again. Why in America did this one sort of latch on in the regional theater movement in the 60s, really, that's where this started, you know, the whole thing of, yeah, let's do a Christmas Carol. Yeah, (laughs) I bet a lot Mm -hmm. of people come see that. And it's just, (laughs) again, part of our history, but it goes back to somebody's got to write it. And it's gotta be, again, something that's got this, it speaks to humanity generally. I think that gets us past this thing of, of, well, is it going to make money? That's the, the reason why I don't enjoy so much of theater is like, it's so much about the money that yeah, new works don't have a chance. If you do things where it's like, well, can we go out on a limb? I know it's sort of a select audience. It's not got the numbers behind it. It's like, well, the, the best theaters, they will build a theater where that's all they do is new works or regional premieres. Charlie was in a brilliant production of Sweat, and it's like, wow, that's the type of theater I'm hungry for, but damn, you do something that's talking about current America, (laughs) you know, or America not not that long ago. It's like, that's what I wanna see. It's true, I also wanna see classics, but if I see a Shakespeare that's badly acted, I want to leave. Yeah, I just want to leave.
0: I think that this brings up the interesting kind of overgeneralized question that we've already really touched on. I don't want to say that, like, we are the conscience of American theater. but
1: I think like, the four of us can, uh, can <laughs> confidently I say that. Yeah, I- I'm planting my flag.
0: Should the American theater be doing the same stories over and over or really putting the time and money and resources towards new works theaters that are doing Christmas Carol now every single year like what if you did it every other year instead and gave that time and money and resources to another production that's maybe still like family oriented or something just something a little bit different what if you did it every like five years and it was a special thing
2: well no that's true and you get ethics and involved with finances too smaller theaters especially they got to survive you know if they're going to be able to pay union actors like charlie and me they got to be making a certain amount of money so that's the Mm -hmm. big problem is what and that's where it goes into art what is worthy does it have to please the majority and run forever or can we just do two weeks and people are gonna be writing about this and that playwright's going to be able to keep writing plays because yes, their work, their message finally got out.
3: Yeah, well also right before the pandemic and then I think, I think they reopened it last year. Like the intention pre-pandemic was for it to be done annually, but there was a Broadway Christmas Carol. And now this year, Jefferson Mays is doing a one man Christmas Carol on Broadway.
2: Well, I'll say that's not going to run forever.
3: No, of course, that's not going to seasonal... take up the theater space,
2: <laughs> and it's not going to have all the touristas going. I've got I see, to... right?
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a seasonal,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I I think I'd like to take it back uh, to a phrase, Alex, that you used: the American theater, and, and you know what? What does the American theater? I I I'd offer a slight pushback. I don't think there is a, an American theater. The the American theater. Doesn't exist. There's Broadway, which is the height of commercial theater, and then there's a million regional theaters. But there's no there's there's no sense of coordination or intention behind, you know, what I, I don't know. San Antonio is doing in relation to what Cincinnati is doing, or you know, what is uh, Seattle theater doing when they think about what's happening in Tallahassee, Florida? There's there it's just like america it is completely mm-hmm. you know n- nuclearized it is it is all different conclaves and the only thing that ties us together is just general kind of themes i think and also what's popular i was just in sweat since doing that i've had two friends in two different parts of the country send me pictures of posters for sweat that they just saw around town and I have another friend who's doing another production of Sweat uh, up in Vermont as well. It's like plays just make the rounds because other theaters hear that it makes them money. Well, that's exactly. It's like, oh, they made a lot of money this over is there. So
3: much of what our episode about regional theater and, and New York theater is about is, and especially, I mean, Lynn Nottage feels like a real anomaly, both with Sweat. And she's bomb. Like, uh, please don't,
1: nobody no, take no, that no. as me poo pooing. Absolutely not that work. It deserves to be done on But it's the
3: also place. that her new play that was just on Broadway last year, Clyde's, is now about to be the most produced play regionally in the country. So that was so much of what it was about that episode, was us talking about regional theater, like sort of the pros and cons of regional theater is essentially just like plucking the next hot thing out of New York and throwing it on their stages mm-hmm. instead of cultivating local talent.
2: The cool thing is so much of uh, the pipeline is going the opposite way. It's regional theaters, San Diego. I I forget the the, the Old Globe. Uh, so many of the musicals, they got to start someplace and they cannot start where it's most expensive.
3: <laughs> well, right. That and That's the old model. That's how it yeah. used to be. There's the out-of-town yeah. tryout started mm-hmm. first and then it would go to New York. Now it's, we were interested in the fact that now it's like Sweat premieres or Clyde's premieres on Broadway because... Lynn Nottage has enough of a reputation where theaters are saying like, yes, we will simply produce your play on Broadway. And interestingly, it was
0: produced by an uh, off-Broadway theater that owns a Broadway theater.
3: Both of them were, Sweat was too, was- I think.
2: I, I know this, this thing to me of uh, playwrights, you know, you develop with regional theaters and people that are gonna give you a chance and, and start your scripts, then people start hearing of this playwright or this specific play. Cincinnati Playhouse, they've got money, though. They can commission plays.
0: One of the other takes on A Christmas Carol that I did kind of want to dive into is in recent years, there has been some analysis of the story in re- also in relation to Dickens' like totality of work that Ebenezer Scrooge is, I want to say this like with quotes, coded Jewish, that it can be read as an anti-Semitic tale, that, you know, it's the idea that this man encounters spirits and then, like, accepts better values (laughs) over money. I mean, I'm not a Dickens scholar. I'm not going to have, like, the most informed take on this, but it is something that is coming up more strongly like in society as we look at a christmas carol year after year and i don't know i i don't have any real answers but i'm curious about like how should we acknowledge it um how should we acknowledge that that you know could could very well have been true knowing what we know about dickens is is it worth it to acknowledge
3: it publicly by the theater? Not just knowing what we know about Dickens, but like knowing what we know about society, knowing what we know about England. I don't. Yes. I feel like I, I this this relates to like conversation that I've I've had a million times, not about specifically anti semitism, but about difficult or controversial or like very dated subject matter in in like play revivals and how to address it and whether you if the writer is still alive whether you like revise the text or whether like how how you deal with it and grapple with it and I think in a lot of cases I feel like you have to sort of be really straightforward about it and like take a stance on it directorially rather than like kind of just pretend that it isn't there
2: you got to do program notes, I think, but just realize that often does. It's unfortunate it might fall to the director.
3: Dramaturgs, yeah. dramaturgs, yeah. Oh, dramaturgs. Now, where are and the that. dramaturgs?
2: Love the, them. Boy, Two of them. COVID right here. didn't get rid of them. That was just finances. <laughs> but a. Um,
3: there were a lot of theaters didn't have dramaturgs to get rid of.
2: But... So no, the thing is, for a, an author who cannot speak for themselves anymore, there's mm-hmm. decades and centuries of overlays, you know, mm-hmm. which after a while it's like, well, how many books have you read? I just have problems with people that's like, you're repeating something that came off of social media.
3: Yeah, these are like maybe contradictory views, but I feel like, so what I said earlier, I still stand by in that when things were written or originally created in a certain historical context and that historical context has drastically changed, that isn't a reason to just like wholesale throw the thing out. But I think the other Mm. side of the coin is like if you're looking at, and this isn't about Christmas Carol specifically what I'm about to say, but like if you look at the specific socio-political context of right now, and the specific context of the fact that, like, anti Semitism is incredibly bad right now and is actively on the rise. It's like, is that the time to decide to do a production of anything that relies mm-hmm. on those tropes, whether they're taking a stance on it or not? It's like the question of, in, in, like, refuting disinformation, you have to be careful not to repeat the ma- the wrong message and be careful not to reinforce the disinformation in refuting it. So I that's an ongoing question, right? Is it's like, for anything, not, not just Christmas Carol, but literally anything that addresses anything that relates you know, to this. Ca- this is where
2: you get into Carousel. There's so many of these- Exactly, these yeah, Carousel's a great example, musicals. yes.
3: Carousel's in a, a really great mm-hmm. example in yeah. that, that recent revival.
2: And you go often that's like, well, do you do it at all? Or do you do it and try yeah. to again just make it <laughs> disguise it.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like, do we cancel Charles Dickens? Right. Like and I don't think we do. I don't think that being that dogmatic about I don't anything is helpful. It's you what I think needs to happen more is that the historical context of a piece needs to be more consciously squared with the current context I think they're often like Mm -hmm. taken in isolation yeah
0: that's a really great point I think that also segues really well to talking about how there are a number of theaters that did a Christmas Carol every single year up until the pandemic and they have chosen to not go back to that And, I mean, I don't know for sure. I haven't, like, called up the artistic director of Hartford Stage to ask, like, why haven't you gone back to this? Because that is a big thing in Hartford. I grew up outside Hartford. Mm -hmm. Like, the Christmas Carol, I never went to it. For whatever reason but i i know it's a huge thing they partner with the university of hartford to get the theater students in to be understudies and small roles so they can get their equity points and things like that and credits
1: we don't have to worry about points anymore
0: (laughs) that's a great point and also a future episode but they they had they pivoted away i think they're doing i think they did it's a wonderful life which was a radio play
1: yes Yeah, I've done that script before.
0: Yeah. And a lot of places did pivot to that for like 2020, 2021. And I think they're fully staging it this year or they're doing something else. I don't quite recall, but there's a couple, I mean, there could be a couple of reasons. Maybe they're trying to be a little bit more inclusive to do something that's, I mean, I think A Wonderful Life is still very much like also Christmas focused, but maybe is not, you know, a Christmas carol.
2: I don't know. You got Joseph. It's a very specific religion that Clarence represents.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I I do wonder if it's just because they're trying to just try new things and they're trying to do more with the actors that they have in their communities. Traditional stagings of A Christmas Carol involve kids. And not just Tiny Tim, but like also what is it? The want and need is that the Cratchit and t- 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 the Cratchit ignorance. family
1: yeah. want and ignorance and the Cratchit
0: family. And I think that it's it is harder to do a large cast show right now with COVID protocols with Kit.
1: Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But the cynic in me says that it's because it's very expensive to mm-hmm. do a large show like that with COVID these days yes. i mean uh, yes. in cincinnati the this entire like there hasn't been there's four theaters hasn't been a single theater that has not had to either cancel productions cancel runs postpone openings because yep. of covid every single theater this season has had to it pay was that a price.
2: miracle it was a christmas miracle that christmas carol Christmas Carol we we were tested twice a week which isn't nearly enough but there was no covid transmission amongst the cast of Christmas Carol like two, last year
1: wow two technical folks got it in isolation but we mm. would be you know getting into makeup before the show and so i would be like hey did you hear about so and so had to close their production had to close their production we'd just be like come on come on Two more weeks, one more week, four more shows. Yeah! I, I thought we should have all gotten like a shout out in Broadway World or, you know, the Equity Magazine. They should have given a shout out to all the Christmas Carols that made it for a yeah. full run.
2: When it was decided that uh, Cincinnati Playhouse, they could not remount um, Christmas Carol um, in 2020 they got in touch with me they said would you do a one-man version you know we'll come up with it it's like you're not going to have the rest of the cast to me it was like a betrayal of charlie and everybody else that was in that cast but i fully understood it it's like we can't safely pack that audience you know a lot of the theaters they did every other seat or <laughs> you know they spaced out the audience um They definitely were wise in thinking we can't get a group of kids, especially in in that that large of a cast without transmission, Mm -hmm. they were going to go to a one man version. And aside from, again, the ethical dilemma of what about all of my my castmates? The other thing I was thinking and pushing real hard from is now's a great time to have a female Scrooge if you're going to do one a one person show. Now's the time to get a person of color, you know, and this realize this opens the door for I still have great hopes that when they open the new theater, that's going to be one of their main things is you get the central character. And that alone says it's one way of saying, okay, let's move on. (laughs) Can we move on? We all love this story about humanity and somebody changing after years of just being a total shit. <laughs> uh, can we see it represented by, I don't know, somebody of a, a non-male gender identity? Is it possible? But we'll see. Again, I, I, I've got great hopes that the, the Playhouse, Blake has actively had more inclusive, diverse casts. And it's time for, for mm-hmm. Carol Again, it's got to be the central role, though. Otherwise, it's yeah. just like, yeah. See, we're changing. Yeah, we're changing.
3: It feels yeah. it mm-hmm. feels like tokenism if mm-hmm. it's not.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I one of the things I was also thinking about post COVID is that we've seen such a period of transition in artistic leadership, like across the country, in the American theater. I'm I still believe there is. One I Charlie. do too, Charlie.
3: That was honestly like. <laughs> future episode like Such a hot cool take. like great hot take <laughs> and great idea for yes. us
1: <laughs> y'all are the experts i'm just you know if you yeah if you need loud mouth dumb takes like call me back i'm not doing
2: much in the evenings
0: we've um but we've seen this period of transition and maybe we are entering into sort of this era of more adventurous kind of storytelling and maybe that is why theaters have pivoted away are rethinking their Christmas carols and I mean I think it's I as someone who loves Christmas Carol that's really exciting for me to be able to see more of it I've only seen it the once on stage and it was a one-man version I would love to see like a full version of it We've been talking a while and I think we're I think we're pretty much ready to you know start wrapping up, but I was interested wrapping, to know
1: wrap Christmas wrapping up. Hey.
0: Christmas wrapping up. I was curious to know if either of you have a favorite moment in the story or a favorite adaptation of the story that just like really speaks to you and you feel like really gets at the heart of what a Christmas carol is about.
1: I'll go first. I think that uh I think the only Good uh, live action film is The Muppet Christmas Carol. So I don't know why it's so hard to make a good Christmas Carol movie. Uh, oh man, if you really want to torture yourself, go check out the Guy Ritchie one that opens up with like some little boy pissing on Marley's grave. It's like, yeah, you know what you're getting in for now. This isn't your dad's Christmas Carol. No, Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> with Michael Caine, only a uh, valid live action uh, film. And of course, uh, as far as stage, the Howard Dallin uh, script performed uh, admirably by the Cincinnati Playhouse in the park for 30 plus years.
2: I love the Alistair Sims story because I just think it's it's so well acted, the movie version. And again, he's funny, he's very moving, and uh, it's also well written, it's just well written. But one of my favorite moments in the show recently has been, interestingly enough, it's Charlie dressed has death, <laughs> Christmas future, and pointing at my gravestone <laughs>
3: Morbid. and saying,
2: you got to look at this. The first year that was playing with my mind, and I think I told you, Charlie, I've never been more moved and terrified. And I was going, what's underneath this?
1: <laughs> ghost therapy. I'm sending you <laughs> to hell.
2: The future says you're down. Change or else.
1: It's, uh, it's
3: time for your ghost therapist to uh,
1: get on the phone. <laughs> everybody if you can't afford whatever the online yeah, uh, forget BetterHelp. just get yourself into Christmas Carol just get yourself into a Christmas Carol with a relative you'll work through something guaranteed happy Thanksgiving <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you two have anything you want to like plug or if you want people to follow you on social media like anything any projects coming up <laughs> Dad, Dad,
1: now is when you now is when you re-plug the Carol Diaries. That's when Dad. I plug
2: like the Carol Diaries. Well, I just happened to have combed through <laughs> over 30 years of journals that again are about me doing Christmas Carol at the three theaters and uh, the different productions. The main thing though that I'm trying to stress is, this ties into your guys' podcast so well, an American stage actor, I went to LA, that's where Charlie was born. Carol and I said, okay, we've worked at a regional theater. We were a resident. I was a resident company member for a full year and it just turned awful. Everybody, again, you had your own dressing room for fight. a fight person. I actually had an armory for the first time. It again was, it's, you know, you go in a rotating rep for the summer. So it opens play by play and then we go into a rep. Alabama Shakespeare Festival, first year in Montgomery, but we left it. And I said, great. That was my dream. Now I'm going to go back to theater. So what I'm trying to stress through, you know, just little glimpses of an American stage actor's life is it's a lot of, it's a lot of sacrifice and it's not just the artist, obviously it's their spouse, it's their kids, but there's some of us that are wired it's like i cannot not act so i'm going to do a, a teaching job for 35 years and that's what i do for my family and acting's what i do for me that's why i'm a big believer in regional theater you know it's there's a lot to be said a regional theater can allow you to be a big fish in a smaller pond or cultivate artistic homes
1: so once again, the name of that book is the Carol, the Carol Diaries, Diaries, and you can buy it where? Well, Dad?
2: Uh, the British publisher just told me that I would have to pay for the printing costs, so we're still shopping around. We're still shopping. Great. Around. Okay, so it look is, for the it Carol is Diaries is online coming for free, soon. Though, now you can look, Bruce. Carver. No, it's not. No, Carol it's not. No, no, it's, no, it's not.
1: <laughs> get, it, get it while you Charlie, can. Charlie, tell free. them
2: what you're going to produce in a little bit.
1: Oh, I have a hot, hot new project coming. Uh, It's due to drop December 1st. Might be a little bit earlier because it's shaping up to be a little bit smaller than we planned on. But his name's going to be Jack Cromer. And uh, my beautiful wife uh, is my collaborator on this project. (laughs) Uh, We got high, high hopes for this one. We expect a return on investment within 16 years. at least.
0: Give it five years, though, and maybe uh, Jack will be playing Tiny Mm -hmm. Tim.
1: Over my dead body. Why? Why is that? I'm very curious to see what happens to a Cromer boy who's not exposed to the crack cocaine of (laughs) Theater when they're five or six years old.
2: See, you got your brother Toby. Toby lives in Vermont. He doesn't have anything to do with theater anymore.
1: Yeah, he Mm -hmm. was in the same production I
3: was when he was three. At three, he was simply too young to internalize the applause. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. Congratulations.
0: Congrats. Well, thank you both so much for coming and sharing your stories and your passion for A Christmas Carol and chatting about it with the two of us. I am so excited that we were able to to grab you, especially before this big life change that's coming. And uh, yeah, I hope you have an incredible holiday season. I hope that you're able to Spend it together.
2: Happy holidays to the thank two you! Thank you so too. much. Yeah,
3: thank you yeah, so thank
0: much. Yeah, thank
1: you, Alex, and thank you, Danielle. This is American
2: Theater right here.
3: Absolutely. People hey. actually talking <laughs> about it. Just chopping it, it up. It does exist. It's in this Zoom. Coming into the studio. Yeah. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe if you have not already. And you can follow us on social media at Partial View Pod and check out our patreon also at partial view pod where once we get a couple people roped in on patreon we'll have we'll have some cool bonus content for you bonus content all right have a good one stay happy any opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and do not reflect the views of our or our guests employers or clients for more
0: of our opinions and other theater-related content, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and pretty much everywhere else at Partial View Pod. You can also find and support us on
3: Patreon. I'm on Twitter at Danielle underscore Fetter and on Instagram at Danielle_Fetter. Follow me there. And
0: I tweet and post pictures of my theater programs and books at Alexandra D-L-E-Y. Till next time. Bye.